Welcome to the Canola Watch Podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. This podcast is a replay of the 4R Fertilizer Management Panel from Canola Discovery Forum. The Canola Council of Canada hosts the forum each year, and the virtual 2020 version was on December 2nd. 4R is right source at the right rate, right time, and right place. It provides guidelines to help farmers get the most out of their fertilizer dollars. For the panel, we had Adam Gurr, Dean Nelson, Lyle Cowell, and Mario Tenuta. I was the host. We start with introductions. My name is Adam Gurr, and I'm a, a producer and on-farm researcher near Brandon, Manitoba. And I farm with my wife, Laura, here, and uh, the rest of the family. And uh, yeah, we're just a small grains farm. We grow wheat, canola, soybeans, and dry beans. And we have a, a no-till control traffic farming system we use to manage those crops. We've done a little bit of uh, four-hour-related research through our company, AgriTruth. Uh, it's, it's mainly been with regards to nitrogen use. And uh, we've also done a little bit with regards to phosphorus. Good. Thanks, Adam. Dean. I am Dean Nelson from Wetaskin, Alberta, and I'm a producer. I do about 1,100 uh, acres, and uh, we do wheat, barley, canola, and rotate between oats or peas or flax um, for my fourth crop rotation. Um, probably been doing 4R for the last, uh, uh, probably the whole farming, my home farming career um, for the last 24 years, um, but been registered for the last six in the, in the program and that and doing that with uh, different different sectors as the different uh, companies have changed. So with uh, right now I'm doing with uh, growing purpose with co-op. All right, Mario. Hello, Jay. Um, Mario Tenuta. I'm a professor at the University of Manitoba in the Department of Soil Science. Um, I'll give you my title. It's pretty long, so we may may take about half an hour or so. So the <laughs> Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council. <laughs> Western Grains uh, uh, Research Foundation and Fertilizer Canada Industrial Research Chair in mm -hmm. 4R Nutrient Stewardship. So as you can tell, a major thrust of our laboratory and research and outreach is in 4Rs, promoting 4Rs, agronomic and environmental benefits. So we can we just say NSERC uh, or we'll just call you the 4R Chair. Yeah, but sometimes it feels like a stool. <laughs> right on. Okay, Lyle, you're next. Hi there. Yeah, I'm Lyle Cowell. I work as an agronomist with North, uh, with Nutrient up in Northeast Saskatchewan. Uh, been in this role for a lot of years. My background is primarily in uh, soil fertility uh, management with the farmers in this region. And uh, been quite involved with the 4R program on, on a number of different platforms and projects over the past number of years. And uh, uh, I guess when it comes to 4Rs, I, I always think that uh, the practice of it uh, is and the education towards it and understanding of it is probably the number one the number one focus that we should have. Good. Well, let's let's get into it. And Lyle, I'd I'd like to start with you. Um, in your experience with with 4R, what what are the most important practices do you think for canola in Western Canada? I, I guess the right answer is to say all the 4Rs is important, but uh, probably in the, in a big picture for Western Canada, 
the first thing should probably be uh, sorting out the appropriate rate of fertilizer for the particular soil that you are farming. Uh, and so there is no right rate for every farm, for every region that we need to sort out the right rate for each field that recognizes that soil potential. I think that's probably in my mind, the most important. In terms of practice, um, I think the most farmers in Western Canada are doing the right thing. There's probably the most important practice is, is subsoil application of fertilizer. Banding of nitrogen is probably the number one thing that farmers do right in, in most of Western Canada. That'd be my, probably my top two thoughts. Good, good. Thanks, Sal. Mario, let's go to you to, to follow up on that or take it in a, in a different direction. But this idea of subsoil placement, um, is that something that kind of comes to your mind as, as, as an important factor? Yeah, more, more than important, I think it's absolutely critical. We are talking about a, a proven, proven approach to nutrient placement and we're you know we're talking here about nitrogen and phosphorus of course and i'm gonna up it up a little bit in that the the benefit of banding you know we have some uh you know there, there's a bit of uh, arguments about side banding or mid-row banding let's just talk about banding in general so subsurface but then even take it up a notch and go to the banding where we're concentrating the nutrients um resulting in less interaction with the soil, that allows more availability to the plant, gives us a bit of more time in terms of boosting availability, slows down nitrogen transformations naturally. So it's one of the placement is one of the, I, I wouldn't say, well, I keep saying simple, I realize it's not simple. It's based on equipment and it's based on field conditions and so forth like that. Um, but it is one of those things that a farmer has the ability to control with some planning in terms of equipment, um, the time of their operations. And so um, I, I do think uh, that placement, uh, yeah, I agree. I would, I, I, I have number one and two, just like Lyle did. Okay. Dean, I wanna, I wanna give you the second part of that question, which is about um, the mindset uh, as a farmer moves toward a, a four-hour mindset. What, what got it going for you? Well, I guess, um... I'm like, I'm a fourth generation farmer. And so I wanted to make sure that it's good to be there. Uh, my dad passed it on to me with my grandfather and just make sure it's there for the future generations or whatever. Um, so that was part of the set uh, farm. I mean, the mindset of doing it, um, but it was just basic economics too. Uh, make sure that you get the right amount of fertilizer at times. Um, if you don't uh, have, it, uh, if you don't know what your soil samples are, soil sampling, is, I think is key. Um, that you know where you're going and you can figure out your right rates. And so we've been doing variable uh, field rates for years um, and that, uh, which hasn't been that complicated. Um, logistically, I'm close to my fertilizer plant. So I'm only at, uh, like uh, five minutes, I mean, five miles away from my plant. So it makes it easy to go get different blends for each field. But I was talking to them the other day and they have farmers that are an hour away and they can adjust the blends for farm specific, I mean, field specific, blends too for farms that are further away make one blend and just adjust your rates to make it work and so i think there's a that's important to uh, yeah. how you can do it and it's not that hard and difficult yeah having the supplier close by helps with some of those logistical challenges yeah. adam um just on the on the let's get your thoughts on the placement part of it do you think that's 
in your mind as a as a farmer and researcher is that the a key part of 4R for you? Yeah, I think so. And I like that uh, Mario brought up the uh, you know talking about more than just nitrogen with regards to placement. Uh, I know there's been a move in our area, and I think a lot of places in Western Canada to deal with logistics of fertilize fertilize our applications in the spring. People are moving away from banning towards broadcast uh, applications, and I think I know for myself, I would echo what Dean was saying on the economics part of it. Like I, I really think uh, you know uh, uh, the the economics of banning just makes sense, and so it's always been a no brainer for us. But I also think that's the same goes for phosphorus too, and especially if people are making larger phosphorus applications of these. Uh, phosphorus prices, I think it makes sense both from an economic and an environmental perspective in it. Good. Thanks, Adam. All right. We've got questions coming in fast and furious here now, which is excellent. Uh, thanks to everybody for, for participating. All right. This one is going to Mario or Lyle. Maybe both of you could chime in. And it's a, it's a good question about soil testing, uh, which is a key part of the 4R message. Um, so the, the question is, uh, how do you respond to to folks who may say most of my plant available nitrogen supply comes from post soil testing mineralization. So the value of soil testing is overrated. What do you say to that? Mario, we'll start with you and then go to Lyle. Okay, so I think this this is a, a, a key question and issue that farmers have in terms of saying, you know, the testing either a fall or a spring is uh, not reliable in terms of what is actually released over the year. So um, I would suggest the following. How about doing a fall or a, sorry, a post-harvest test and do an audit of your system, of your field and actually test and see, did you get a lot of mineralization that came out? You can, you can do some calculations in terms of what you added, what you started with in terms of inorganic in, and find out what you're left with at the end. You could even do some um, envelope calculations. Um, it's it's uh, the Plant Nutrition Institute has them. Uh, provincial guides have them about nutrient uptake by crops. You can do a rough budget and say, hey, yeah, I did get nitrogen that seemed to appear. And then ask, oh, this is what I think, it's, it's related with the residues from the previous year. What was the crop that was grown the previous year? and the immobilization or the mineralization that was coming out of those residues. So to those farmers uh, that, that say the testing uh, doesn't do it for them, I would say, okay, well, do some testing after the crop and, and truly figure that out if, if there's an issue, are you getting mineralization? And then if you do this um, a number of years, you may find the relationship with some certain crops ahead on stubble that are providing um, mineralization release the following season. Good. Wow. I, I guess sometimes I hear the word mineralization and we forget that there is also immobilization and, and that this is a balanced checkbook that in most fields, uh, the, the release of nitrogen or, uh, from organic matter, but also the tie-up, I guess we call it, of nitrogen to organic matter is often pretty tight balanced. So, um, I, I still think a soil test is very valuable to determining the approximate levels of nitrogen in the soil. It's measuring the, the primary available nitrogen in our soil, nitrates. Um, we do need to remember that soil testing is a tool that to use in developing a good plan on your farm. It's not the 
the be all and end all as far as giving it the right answer for right rate, but it's an excellent tool. Um, I, and I always suggest to uh, people that, you know, so sampling really hasn't changed much. Analysis hasn't changed much in terms of nitrogen, but what tool we have been given in the past decade, especially, is the, the ability to better target our sampling. So targeting, we do a better job instead of just taking a random sample across a field, we can now target between soils within the landscape and sort out, uh, we can sort out our nitrogen rates much more carefully and accurately than we could when I was, when I was younger in my career. So that's, that's the big thing that I think that farmers need to take advantage of right now. Good. Thanks, Lau. Uh, I have a question for, for Adam and Dean. What, what changes in fertilizer programs should take place? This is for, for the farm to increase yield from 40 to 50 bushels per acre in the next five years as planned for the, for the Canola Council's strategic plan. Yeah. So we're at around 41 bushel per acre average yield across Western Canada. The goal is to get to 52. Uh, so notwithstanding what's going on on your own farm, how do we close that gap, Adam? I, I think uh, I'll speak to my local situation. I think in, in a lot of producers are under fertilizing with regards to nitrogen. And also I feel that uh, uh, I know on our own farm, mainly we haven't been meeting phosphorus removal rates. So I think there's an opportunity to increase average canola yields just by bringing that back into balance and, you know, making phosphorus applications to uh, soil test levels up to a more optimal range for crop production. Not just nitrogen, but phosphorus as well. Yeah. Good. Well, so, yeah, so yield gains to be made by increasing nitrogen, but like you said, uh, really increasing that phosphorus to at least cover removal, crop removal. Dean, what do you think? Um, I think uh, one of the things also too is looking at uh, what the micronutrients <clears throat> are. Uh, I noticed in my fields over the last number of years, we've been bumping the boron um, because it's been getting low and we haven't really watched that over the years prior to this. And so we've been watching that, trying to bump that up uh, so we can get a higher yield or whatever and help with the plant stand. Uh, and so that's, I think it's, it's, looking at those micronutrients too. Um, we, the needle, it's so hard to move that because a lot of it too is environmental. Um, it affects each year, you can't adjust for that. And so that's, you know, you can do as much as you can with nutrients, but environment has a big thing to do with it too. So. Yeah, good, well, thanks Dean. All right, um, there's a question here that that actually is, is one of the questions I was hoping someone was gonna ask, so this is perfect. Mario, you had alluded to the to to the notion of four R being somewhat flexible. It's not a prescription, as in do this, um, because of course every farm situation is different, and and there's not always a, a precise path. But but this question is related to that. Um, when it comes to you know broadcasting, uh, so if you're going to broadcast, the four R recommendation is to use a, some sort of inhibitor. But why don't we just say don't broadcast. Well, there are going to be times on particular soils that uh, you won't be able to subsurface ban. <laughs> you, you can't even get a, 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 a tractor onto a field in terms of the rutting and so forth like that. So uh, Manitoba, we've had that in certain areas of the black soil zone. We've, we've had that for a uh, couple of years now in the fall. So it becomes very problematic. So that's why the four R's need to be uh, flexible and say, under these certain circumstances, this is the best approach. So, you know, I, I um, surface broadcasting has its place. It's 
not, I would say not the recommended approach, but it can be the recommended approach if um, there's no other options being able to, to get onto the field. So um, in our area, especially in the black zones, you can't count on the, um, the soils drying in the spring if you're, if you're going in with very wet soils and you get a good snow pack. So I can see why farmers get really antsy and so they want to get it on in, in, the, in the fall. So I can see that. And, and we don't want something that's going to handcuff farmers to uh, not have yield the following year. Nobody wants that. That's not, that's not sustainable farming. Um, Dean, let's, let's go to you. How important is it for the 4-Hour program to be, to be as flexible as possible for you? Well, um, just going back to the last question or whatever about broadcasting or whatever, in the last two years, in 19, uh, 2009, I had to... Um, broadcast one field on because it was just so wet uh, we couldn't get in there to do it so we had to broadcast it on this year in two, 2020 i had to broadcast a field on uh, my tractor front wheel assist broke and so i had the co-op come out and broadcast my fertilizer and seed on and i heavy heralded it um when and it was the worst looking crop everywhere uh that I'd ever seen uh, everybody's calling me and saying oh you're having problems here i'll put some uh solidogen on that crop for you or whatever um, it, we only had two plants per square foot. Um, and so that was it. And it was just looking awful. And it was about three weeks behind everything else. But by the end, we still got a 60 bushel crop. Those plants brushed out like just trees. And it was just amazing um, that how vigorous your canola is. <laughs> and, and, and did everything wrong, but we did okay with it. But we shouldn't have. And so, uh, but you need that variability because things happen. Equipment breaks. And so you got to go with plan B or C or D to get your fields in and get it done. And so you only have so much time to do it. So you need that variability. In there, so Adam, what do you think? Thanks, Dean. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like uh, you definitely need some flexibility there with regards to, I think just more specifically with broadcast applications of nitrogen, depending on the crop and uh, you know, how spring goes for you or whatever. And um, you know, whether you might want to top up in season or something like that. Lyle, do you have a have a thought on that one? To some extent, I, I think we need some flexibility. Um, fertility is part of yield. We don't want to damage soil structure for the sake of applying fertilizer. Nevertheless, I don't think that we should stretch the boundaries of what is called 4R too far. And uh, I, that honestly is a bit of a concern to mine to me that we that we if we're going to call something a best practice then we need to identify that best practice. Some flexibility, again, to avoid damaging the soil if it's wet. Certain crops, obviously, broadcasting is going to work better for winter cereals or forages. Um, but nevertheless, we really need to be clear to the advantages of what the best practices are under normal circumstances. So that's interesting. So you would actually, uh, you would actually like to be a little bit more precise when it comes to the recommendations and, and would you go so far as to take broadcasting off the table? No, uh, I, I, I think this takes a step back to the focus needs to be on, on education, understanding what is the best practice. In the end, the farm belongs to the farmer and the practice has to be what works or, or what that decision is. Uh, the 4R is a, is a guideline and I think it's an excellent education program but it's not the law and we're not the for our police. And so I think the best practice or the best thing that we can 
office is to make sure that everybody understands what are the best practices and why they are the best practices. Maybe we can wrap up with this, and I'm not saying it's going to be quick, but um, like this is our Canola Discovery Forum. So I really want to focus on some of the discovery uh, needs. And uh, so what, what, what research do we need? Um, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just an extension need. Maybe we know everything uh, that we need to know, and it's just a matter of getting that message out. Um, but, but as we move over the next five years with the, with like the canola yield goal, like was mentioned and the importance of the 4R adherence, Lyle, what do you think is missing? We'll, we'll get everybody on this, but we'll start with you, Lyle. It, good news is that there has been excellent research across Western Canada and, and probably the first thing that we should do is understand, know what we know, uh, don't be afraid to understand what research has been done over the past, not just the past couple of years, but the past decades, because we, there has been uh, outstanding research completed over the, over the past, uh, well, really, that is still suitable to Western Canada since the 80s, certainly. Um, so we, first of all, we need to know what we know. Um, but also, uh, if I was asked what I think are some of the things that we need to learn better, or understand better. Um, first of all, I think there's some fundamental things. I'm not completely sure, and I know that there's a pro project on, on, on the undergoing right now to better understand our actual crop removal from fields of nutrients. Um, I think we need to refine what our removal rate of nutrients are. And I think we need to better understand that not just, not just as a, on, a, on a broader scale, uh, landscape scale, need to understand our rate of removal and then in turn the best rates um, per, per soil landscape. We, we can take the next step to improve our accuracy on what is the right rate. And I think that that might be the most important thing that we drive forward. Yeah, okay. Well, the, the uh, I think it's Fran Wally, somebody will correct me if That's I'm correct. wrong, yep. who's doing the, the updated uh, uptake and uh, removal table. So that'll be so great to have. Uh, Adam, let's go to you. And then Mario, I'm going to end with this. We're going to go to Adam, Dean, and then we'll end with the researcher, Mario, on his thoughts. But Adam, what do you think? I don't know that I could really speak with uh, respect to the uh, for, or the research that's being done in Western Canada, but I know from a farmer perspective, uh, you know, really economics drives uh, system changes. And so if there's good data being produced, it's important to get it out there to producers to show them that and also include that economic part of it. Oil producers, yeah, you know, it's more efficient to do for our practice that because you're going to be more profitable. If they're not convinced that it's going to make economic sense, then a producer is going to shy away from it. And that's a big part of the program that you're doing with your research company, eh, Adam, is, is trying to, I mean, back to your point earlier about the nitrogen rate and, and the the importance of phosphorus and you're doing some good studies there on on finding that right economic balance i've always taken the approach that four makes economic sense so it's never really been an issue for myself but i know that there seems to be a probably a bit of a gap person adam gurr ran into some audio problems here but he made a good point about research that shows more clearly a return on investment for phosphorus rates that match the rate of crop removal.
Adam, your audio's in and out a little bit, but I think we got the gist of it. But and uh, as Jeff Shano calls uh, phosphorus uh, deficiency the hidden hunger, it's not always easy to see what's happening when you're short of phosphorus, unless it's a, a disastrously short situation. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> but, sure. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, to be able to to show um, with real real data what what's going on yield wise with with lower phosphorus levels that would be really helpful. D Dean, what do you think? Well, I think we got, I don't know what research says, Gadam says, what research needs to be done. But as a farmer, um, the biggest thing is uh, is the economics or whatever. It doesn't make sense. But things change so fast. I can't adjust sometimes to the changes that happen. Um, my equipment, I can't go out and just buy a new drill every other year because I just, I got to buy this other piece of equipment or I need to build a shop or I need to do this. And I don't have all the economic values to do the amount of changes that the research says. So to just, go and say, oh yeah, I should do this now. It's kind of tough sometimes. So you have to juggle which way you want to go, which, uh, how to economically choose which basket to put your eggs in. And so, uh, so yeah, so it's kind of, uh, I find that's the challenge as a farmer trying to take all the research and go, okay, I'm going to put this one thing into practice this year or whatever, and then try it and see if it works. And then you could do step two, but you might have six that you have to do that you're recommending. Yeah. It's kind of hard to juggle those. So and that's exactly what I think of when I think of the variable rate programs. I mean, it, I, I, everyone would, would figure, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If I'm going to get my best acres doing, churning out as much yield as possible, it all makes so much sense. It's just if, I, if you invest in a variable rate system and find out that, well, you know what, maybe it isn't the, the best use of dollars on my farm. Well, it's a big investment. So you want to make sure there is a return there. So I, I can totally see where you're coming from, Dean. All right. I, I really probably have to wrap up. I'm sure there's someone telling me that, that enough is enough, but Mary, what, what, what's missing or is it, a, is it an extension issue? Is there some research that really needs to get done? Well, I'm a researcher. So I, uh, for sustainability of my job, I have to say there's research has to be done. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, it's the rate. It's, it's the rate thing. Let's go back to this rate. So I was just recently doing some number crunching and with canola, because of the, the commodity price for canola, uh, it's really easy for a producer, for example, to, to get two, two bushels extra yield to pay off for um, their enhanced efficiency fertilizer application and, and a bit more. Uh, and, but to, uh, to pay for the fertilizer uh, without an increased yield, they actually have to reduce their nitrogen addition rates quite dramatically, something like um, uh, 15% or so because of the premium cost. Well, a farmer then, for example, if you're using enhanced efficiency fertilizers, you need to be banking on either reducing your N applications or getting that yield boost. And I'm not sure we're getting that yield boost because our um, applications of fertilizer are usually uh, above optimum so that we're not going to shortchange any particular fields with, with nitrogen. So they're designed like that. So we did a study uh, sponsored by canola growers in the prairies through you guys uh, and, and gals. Uh, and that um, when we did not see an impact of um, basically for our practices, until we shortchange the nitrogen on the canola crop. So we applied 30% less than recommended. And then we started seeing some bushel separation with 4R practices. 
which tells at 100% recommendation, it was all flatlined, there was no effect. And it's, so if we're using four R's, and remember four R's is, is about what? Using nitrogen more efficiently. And that means getting into the crop and getting yield. If we're doing that, we need to think about our rates. Do our rates have to change? And I'd say, yes, they have to change. But what we're doing is we're keeping our rates similar to before, and then um, applying for our practices to that. And we're not thinking about the rate. So I, my big recommendation is to farmers is to play with your rates, do some strip trials with the rate when you're going to enhance efficiency fertilizer, then ask yourself, where's my return on this practice? Is it either through the yield boost or is it because of my fertilizer input costs? ask that, justify it, and then we're going to start really moving. I'm not seeing enough evaluation on, um, and maybe I'm wrong, Dean and Adam could correct me saying I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I don't see enough of that evaluation. Uh, I can't give that to each individual farmer for each individual field. I can't do that. Warren, please jump in and tell me that I need to be done. But I, but Mario set it up so nicely that I feel like we can't. We we have to let Adam and Dean have the last word. So uh, just just on rates, um, do you do you increase your rate, or do you invest in uh, an enhanced efficiency product, or where 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 do you put your money? I know for ourselves, like I, you know, we've done some testing on enhanced efficiency fertilizers, and we just haven't seen any value in our cropping system with those. Uh, and one thing I want to mention with regards to rate, I think is overlooked and maybe we don't understand is I feel like there's a long-term impact to high versus low rates of nitrogen. And that over the years you can, you know, so you could argue in the season of, yeah, I can reduce my nitrogen rate this year and you can show that I didn't see, you know, I hit optimum rate at say 120 pounds and putting more didn't, didn't do anything. Uh, but we have a we have a trial on our farm going back eight years now that's kind of showing the impact of those fertilizer choices over time, and we're seeing like kind of like a I feel like we have uh, more yield potential where we've been fertilizing higher, and so that might get missed on trials that are only conducted for a single season or, or a couple of seasons even where you're at rates. And so uh, anyway, that's just something to consider, I guess. Like. That's why I would tend to err on a on a higher fertilizer rate. Like we don't over fertilize. Like we're, I, like I feel like we make uh, good use of our uh, nitrogen fertilizer dollars, but we've just been able to show that potential long term impact of of nitrogen rates. So, so if you if you're looking at that uh, nitrogen use curve, uh, your rate at yeah. the the top of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is that if you if you if you were to test different rates in a in a cropping system. And you're only to do that test for a single season or a couple seasons, you might miss out on potential long-term impact of different nitrogen fertilizer rates. It might not show up as being economic in the year of, right. because you're testing on a soil that's been well fertilized historically. But as you drop nitrogen fertilizer rates, I feel there can be a potential long-term impact that needs to be considered. Great, thanks, Adam. All right, Dean. Last word to you, and then we're we're done. Thanks to the four of you. This has been a wonderful conversation. I feel like we could go on for a lot longer, but anyway, we're, we're wrapping think, up. De the, Dean. 
with the rates and that it's it's hard to do that on a practical level on the farm um, sometimes um, like I know that um, I'm just trying to think oh if I have this field and if I do strip trials in it then how do you combine so you get the same strip tiles in to figure out where that is and yeah you can put flags out or whatever and sometimes it's it's difficult sometimes to do some of those trials in a realistic farm area um, sometimes it's easier than other um, it depends on what your equipment is you know um, and how that's set up to do that um, and so I, sometimes it's hard to do those trials where you're doing that long-term data and trying to figure that out um, in that and then just logistics again equipment you know can I put down, you know, uh, I was walking with my agronomist this week. Um, she wants me to put down 280 pounds of fertilizer on this one field. And I said, I want to put 250 in. That's all I could put in with the amount of weed I'm putting in. It's oh, just, yeah. that's a limitation. So it makes it hard. Sometimes we can recommend to do this stuff, but we can't on a practical side do it. And so we got to adjust it to make it work. That was Adam Gurr, farmer and on-farm researcher from Brandon, Manitoba. Dean Nelson, farmer from Wetaskiwin, Alberta, Mario Tenuta, prof at the University of Manitoba, and Lyle Cowell, agronomist with Nutrien in Northeast Saskatchewan. So thanks again, you four, and we're moving on. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> See you thank later. You, bye. Yeah. Thank you. See you. Thank you. For lots more on fertilizer management, please go to the excellent resource that is canolaencyclopedia.ca. For articles specific to 4R, we have a few good ones in Canola Digest magazine, including Simple 4R Tips to Improve Profitability. Find it at canoladigest.ca. The article includes resources from Fertilizer Canada, the keeper of the 4R program, and mentions the Canola Council of Canada goal to have 90% of canola acres under 4R by 2025. Canola Watch is a research-based agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada in cooperation with the Provincial Canola Grower Associations, SAS Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. Thanks for listening. I'm Jay Wetter.